This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. We have a hot topic today. The topic is fire. A very, a very hot topic today, Father Jeffrey. Indeed. <laughs> well, we're talking about not just fire in general. We're talking about fire in the Bible. And, and I was reflecting, you know, when preparing for this episode, I was reflecting on what someone on the street might talk about if you ask them about fire and the Bible. You know, hey, tell me a little bit about what your impressions of fire and the Bible are. Uh, what images come to mind? And I think that for most people on the street, their image of what the Bible has to say about fire probably has to do with, you know, little black imps who are carrying pitchforks and are um, poking people in a fiery lake. And you have this basically hell fire, this um, Dante version of of a hell that, you know, that, that I think that that's kind of how the common person in our society would associate the theme of fire and with the Bible, you know, maybe something as absence from God or having turned away from God. Um, which which it seems odd because it, in the Bible, whenever fire really comes up in this way, it's actually uh, God, it's a way of God revealing Himself, right, through strength and power. Um, that this uh, fire is almost this image of holiness. Uh, you can't really get too close, or it burns you, right? Um, because God is so holy and so um, other; He's Most High. And so, I, I thought maybe we could start with this idea of fire being this way or this image which God uses to reveal himself. So, you know, the burning bush, I think that's probably a good place to start, right? The burning bush, Moses, he sees a bush which is on fire, but the bush isn't actually being consumed. And then he has a conversation with Yahweh, the God of, of Israel. Um, yeah, so fire being a method of connection with God. That's probably the best place to start, Father Jeffrey. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, you kind of brought all of those different um, images into play and the way that, you know, someone who might think of fire being associated only with something like hell, the everlasting fire. I mean, that these are certainly images that, that exist. Um, and even in the words of Jesus, of course, but as you say, the first real instance of fire appearing in the scriptures is in Exodus chapter three, where we have the Lord appearing, the angel, of the Lord appearing in a flame of fire out of a bush. And, um, as you say, it's blazing and yet not consumed. And from that point, actually multiple times and, and almost consistently, the appearance of God to the people of Israel is as fire, right? We, you know, there's going to be the pillar of fire leading the people of Israel out of Egypt um, through the wilderness and, and that sort of thing. The fire that comes down on, on Mount Sinai, um, you know, at the time of the revelation of the covenant and, and so forth. So fire as God's presence, right, is, is the kind of dominant, you know, metaphor here. It's not to say there aren't images of fire as that kind of opposite, or the you know the, the, that place where where God is not you know you got the fires of Babylon as well where the you know three young men are, are placed in the furnace and everything but it's interesting that 
I say the, this fundamental and, and first place that fire appears is as God's presence. And it, in some ways, I think we're asked to kind of reframe our understanding of what that other fire is in light of this, right? So just take that Babylon example, which in a, in a way is the fundamental, you know, story about God's presence um, in the whole of the Old Testament, because it's it's in Babylon that these stories and the tradition, you know, kind of crystallize into what we have as the Old Testament. So the story of in the midst of the fire, God is present, right? And so even though that fire was intended as a fire of destruction by Nebuchadnezzar, by the Babylonians, by, you know, all those who insisted that those young men, uh, you know, should turn away from their true God and and worship the the idol that had been set up and, and so forth. And they refuse. They're cast into the flames. They're cast into the fire. But in the midst of that fire, God is present. Right. So, it, it, it almost working out of that, you have these images coming. You know, together. Is there such a thing as a fire in which God is not actually present? Um, and could it be that even those fires of hell are, in fact, not ultimately a sign of God's um, absence, but actually of His presence in in a particular way? And so, the, the way that works through the Orthodox tradition and spiritual uh, reflection and so forth it, it is quite interesting, right? So you get this development of the idea of, you know, God's presence is actually all in all, but how you experience that can either be one form, you know, or another. So from Moses and that appearance of God to the pillar of fire, leading the the, the people of Israel, the fire that descends on altars, the, the fire that is the revelation of the covenant, the fire that is intended to destroy, but is in fact revealed as God's presence to the, the young men, you know, in Babylon, uh, you know, to the river of fire, you know, also in the, the prophecy of Daniel that is is depicted as, you know, when the ancient of days comes, right, and, and puts away all the powers of this world, that's a river of fire, that the fiery throne of God, the surround the throne that's that's surrounded by fire, the the, the 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 streams of fire that come forth from that are in fact all ultimately you know the same thing a sign of god's uh you know presence here and you know it, this works its way through the scriptures on all these different levels but i just I mean, having started in that point of saying well most people just think of hellfire you know in fact they're not wrong to do so and in fact are is it not ultimately possibly a reflection of you know the same idea of god's presence and rather than rather than an absence in some ways all of these images and stories um, and symbols of a fire are meant to reframe the way we think about fire full stop, even unto and including, you know, the, the everlasting fire that is meant to be God's judgment or, you know, this being cast out of God's presence somehow is ultimately a form of God's presence after all. It seems to me that fire, let me know what you think of this, Father. It seems to me that fire is this uh, image that the the writers of the scriptures use to communicate uh, the, the finitude of and the limited nature of human existence in comparison with the divine majesty of the eternal God um, that, you know, when Moses, when he appears, uh, uh, when he looks at the burning bush there, you know, God says, take off your 
your shoes, you know, you're standing on holy ground. And, um, and then you also have the, um, you have the mountain, Mount Sinai, when they're going to receive the law, there's this like storm with fire and everything at the top of this mountain. And the Israelites are afraid. They don't want to go anywhere near this thing, right? And this, Moses, you go, you know, you go, uh, go for us. So we don't have to. Um, so, you, and then you also have, well, you also have, you know, Elijah, when he has this competition with the priests of Baal and God sends fire to consume the sacrifice that it actually burns up some of the priests of Baal, right? This, uh, this judgment of God. So, you know, if, you know, the, we've been talking a lot about our Bible reading tool belt. Would it be fair that when we read about fire, what the, one of the images we should have is this idea of humans being so far, uh, so finite, so weak and limited in the face of the divine is that is that sort of a fair a fair reading i I think so i mean you have to in all of these images return to the kind of primordial basic you know meanings uh, of these things so i think about how fire is experienced right it's i mean fire is another one of those really powerful forces um yes it can be harnessed yes it can be you know put to good use you know for Many tens of thousands of years now, human beings have, have managed to use that for warmth, for for light, for for cooking, you know, for for even protection and security. Right? You light a fire at night, maybe to ward off uh, dangerous animals and, and that sort of thing. So, fire has all of these positive, you know, purposes. But fire ultimately is uncontrollable right it's only to a very limited extent you know we can bound it you know in a in a in a pit you know possibly uh you know or, or put it on a stick or something to for for light for for warmth but otherwise you know fire is experienced as this ravaging devouring out of control thing it connects to some of the other images that that we've talked about you know it, in, like the waters that are the most powerful thing in terms of oceans and storms and everything. Well, you know, fire is another one of those things. So the, that God is associated with this is precisely to say, this is this thing that's so other uh, to us that we ultimately beyond our control, you know, that because this is part of the ongoing debate in ancient societies is, you know, how do we respond to these great forces, right? Uh, and in some, in many cultures, they're, they're associated with, with gods, uh, demons, or, you know, powerful, you know, uh, aspects of, of nature and so forth. And the whole point of religion is to tame them somehow, to, to, to placate them, to, to bring them under control. And so, you know, the sea gods and the, the fire gods and the storm gods and all of these things. And, you know, because these are the, the things that can potentially be the greatest threat, potentially be the greatest you know, uh, benefactors to us as, as human beings. The whole point of religion is to bring them under under control. Well, part of what the Israelite people 
come to understand in their encounter with God is that there is one God and he's the one who's in control of all of these things, the waters, the fire, the storms, the, the everything. It's not a whole pile or pantheon of, of different gods or demons who are associated with all of that. And it's not a matter of, you know, placating you know, God or, 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 or getting to the point where you can control God, you know, through these things, but of accepting God's ultimate sovereignty and God's, that God is almighty. He is the Yahweh of the hosts. He is the, the, the sovereign Lord and creator, you know, of all things. And so the, the, the path to follow is not one of exercising control over something like fire, but accepting that God's presence is a devouring fire, as as Moses will tell the people of Israel, God is a devouring fire, and to then live in accordance with God's will, and to, to form covenant and to enter into loving relationship with the creator, not to control, you know, because the, those forces are under God's sovereignty, not under the sovereignty of human beings and so forth. So, so absolutely things like fire, it, it, they're precisely uncontrollable to show that they, they go beyond what we're capable of, of mastering ultimately, or, or, or showing our place, you know, within that created order and so forth. So that we are ultimately brought to a place of trust and love and relationship with God, not in order, not in, in otherwise into some sort of relationship with creation that that allows us to to, to be the masters or somehow the, the mm-hmm. those who who are able to to magically uh, you know or through religion you know exercise control over over these things even though we have this kind of illusion sometimes of being able to you know control the winds you know we can put up sails in a boat and we we kind of get the sense that oh you know we're we're in control here or we can build a fire pit put a fire in that and hopefully contain it we we think that we've somehow mastered that well these are illusions ultimately because ultimately god is that pillar of fire the burning bush the the devouring fire the the fire that that is that river of fire that that passes through all creation with his his powerful almighty presence and so the point of all that is to put us into connection and relationship and a a relationship of love and trust with the creator not with created things if that makes sense so uh, Mm -hmm. so like the waters that are uncontrollable without god the fire is is a similar kind of uh, a powerful symbol that that it is ultimately god that we should turn to and not to to the, the the demons or gods of of created things If you haven't yet become a patron of Enacting the Kingdom over on Patreon, you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to. When you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. It seems to me that fire in the Bible also has this, um, also provides an image of, you know, worthiness versus unworthiness, right? That there are people in the scriptures who we are told in the story, um, interact with the divine in an in an improper or a not ordered way and sometimes it even ends in death right um you know this image of well if you're going to 
go to the fire and just throw yourself on the fire, guess what? You're going to get burned, right? That's just how it that's how it works, right? Um, if you don't have a appropriate relationship, um, and you know many of the rules of you know Leviticus or or these Old Testament um, uh, temple rules are about how do you how do you make sure that when you interact with that divine presence, that fire, that you are actually doing it in such a way that you're not going to just get burned to a crisp, right? Um, but there, there is also this tension, you know, okay, so the story that's coming to mind, Father Jeffrey, is the story uh, uh, from Isaiah chapter 6. So, you know, Isaiah being this prophet in Israel who has a vision of the heavenly throne room and he sees, you know, uh, Yahweh uh, sitting on a throne, the, the, it's the throne room, the divine council, everything's filled with smoke, the angels are singing, holy, 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 you know, um, uh, and he is unworthy. And he says, oh, no, I'm going to die now because... I am unworthy. Like I, I'm, I have not prepared myself. I am not in a position in which to experience this fire. And what happens is one of the angelic beings, one of the heavenly beings takes a coal from the altar and comes to Isaiah and actually puts the coal with tongs into Isaiah's mouth. And actually the opposite happens. It's that Isaiah himself catches fire with that divine presence. And he becomes the person through whom the God of Israel will proclaim, you know, truth into through, through his prophetic ministry. And the relationship between worthiness of being in God's presence or unworthiness. And it's, it's not that we let me know if I'm on the right track here, father. It's not that we come being worthy. It's that God makes us worthy and sort of gives us that fire or, or uh, in, puts himself into us. Um, Object, yeah, that 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 tension of worthiness versus unworthiness when in the face of that divine presence of God, that fire. Um, does that make sense? Absolutely, and it's the. I mean, it's that whole image of refining, right? The the, the process, um, you know, by which you know base things are burnt away, and only the the purest things remain. Right. And, and St. Paul uses this image in, in the letter to the Corinthians, uh, right. He talks about how, um, you know, the, he's been building like a master builder on a, he's laid a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this with good materials like gold and silver and precious stones, those will pass through the refiner's fire. They'll be revealed with fire compared to say wood, hay, straw, etc., which will be burnt away. Right. And so, uh, coming into the presence of God is, is to come into the presence of a fire that burns away all that is not, uh, capable of participation in that fire as it were. Right. Uh, and of course, St. Paul here is building on Old Testament prophetic imagery, right? Like Malachi, who shall endure the day of his coming? Who shall stand firm when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire, right? And, uh, you know, refining and purifying silver and gold and silver and so forth. Zechariah as well, you know, uh, that, that talking about the return of those who had been away from God, you know, the, that they will be, that the, those who will come back will come as through fire right as one refined silver and tests gold and so forth so these are these images of of refinement of god's people are are throughout the scriptures right so it's perfectly consonant with that appearance to moses in the burning bush or the 
you know, the appearance uh, of, uh, you know, the river of fire in Daniel and, and so forth. These things are, are purifying. And so that, that image of, of Isaiah is telling, you know, as well, because, I mean, here's the whole thing upon which um, whether you can be in the presence of God or not, it, it turns on this idea of what is clean and what is unclean. Right, and this is the the whole of the Old Testament uh, religion, as it were, is is predicated on this principle. It's one that we we struggle to understand, actually, because we tend to think only in terms of um, kind of moral concepts here, uh, right? That you know, sin and sinlessness, for example. Whereas the the holiness of God that Isaiah, you know is present in that temple and, and, and sees the throne of God and his robe filling the whole temple and the incense and the smoke and the cherubim and seraphim. Um, the, that holiness, kadosh, right, that is, um, that is celebrated there is this, as you talked about before, this total otherness of, of God, this uniqueness of God. And of course it's connected with with moral character, but that's like a small part of it. it. It's ultimately just this kind of complete otherness, this, you know, the uncreated versus the created that we are. And to be in the presence of that requires that we also are kadosh, also made holy, not sinless. You know, a lot of the great holy figures of the Old Testament are not sinless in any sort of way. And the great, you know, the Figures like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, Moses himself are are shown to be weak, vulnerable, contingent, sinful human beings, right? But they are nevertheless kadosh, holy, capable of being in God's presence in this refining, fiery presence um, because of this category of, of, of what is clean, what is ritually clean and capable of, of, of being in that presence. So the whole of, I mean, read Numbers and Leviticus and, and so forth. It's all about how do you, how do you become capable of that? And, and if you're incapable, how do you get back, you know, to that? So we, when you read clean and unclean, don't think, you know, sinful uh, or, or not. Just think what is capable of being present in the presence of this total otherness, this uniqueness, this holiness, you know, uh, of God and so forth. And interestingly, in every chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus, for example, it's through sacrifice that that is made possible. When you, when you offer a, a certain kind of sacrifice, you're, you're made capable of, of being in the presence of God. And what's a sacrifice, but a burnt offering. It's fire, right? So the fire comes back here in a big way in the whole of Israelite uh, piety and ritual practice uh, in the tabernacle and in, in the temple uh, and that that capacity to make sacrifice so that one can be in the presence of God. One can stand in the place where that refiner's fire, you know, is operating. So the fire of God and the fire that is the sacrifice, uh, that is the become sacrifice and burnt offering, producing the, 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 the beautiful odor in order that, that God, uh, you know, can be, uh, experienced in this, in this positive way. And these are all interconnected, right? And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 that imagery then 
comes forward into our understanding of what God does in through Jesus Christ, right? In terms of his ultimate, you know, sacrifice and so forth. And to be in Christ is to be in that place where we are capable of standing in the fiery presence of God. God makes us capable of that. In some ways, the whole of our divine liturgy is an experience of access, right? That we, we have boldness and without condemnation, we come to stand. How many, how many times do we say those kinds of things in the liturgy that God has brought us there? We assemble and we ascend to the throne of God and we are capable of being there, you know, with boldness mm-hmm. and we're able to call God father. And, and what happens? We, 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 receive the cup of life, right? And then what do we say after communion, but lo, this has touched your lips and you shall be healed from of all your infirmities. That's precisely what the seraph tells Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, when that coal, that burning coal touches his lips, right? So it's all about that. And, And to miss this imagery of fire and of sacrifice and of God's presence and the refining uh, of, of all that is not capable of being in that presence, you know, is, is to miss the import of, of our very the central act that we have in, in Orthodox Christianity of the divine liturgy and mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. able to kind of go and to be touched by God, right? Although we are, as Isaiah himself says, you know, people of unclean lips dwelling amongst, you know, nations of unclean lips, that, that would, by, by which he means not simply, you know, that he doesn't know what to say or anything, but the, the, the totality of who he is, is incapable of offering, you know, worship to, to God, right? Because we are so other, but it's God who brings us there and God who reaches out and touches us. And that very fiery coal from the altar is shown to come and to touch him and he is made clean. And that's what happens to us in Jesus Christ. We are made clean, that is to say, capable of being in God's presence, which is a fiery, devouring presence uh, and a refining one through which we will pass like refined gold or silver. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there is still a place you can keep up to date with Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. We play this out every single Sunday, right? Yeah. Every single time we're at the Divine Liturgy, this, this, this pattern that we see in the scriptures is played out every single time that we go to the Divine Liturgy. And uh, so I'll tell you a story, Father Jeffrey. I had a friend uh, one time, this was at summer camp, and he said, uh, he said, he was a fellow counselor of mine, and he would never go for communion. And he would normally stand, they had these doors that would open up so the church was sort of half inside half outside and he would always stand outside right he would he, he would very rarely actually go into the actual church proper um and asked like aren't, aren't you coming for communion he goes no i don't want the church to burn down <laughs> because he felt like he was he understood himself to be such a sinner that he didn't want you know he, he that was the way that he described not being worthy is he didn't want the church to burn down. And um, I'm wondering, yeah, like how would you sort of start approaching that? Because in one sense, he gets it, right? He gets the fact that receiving the Eucharist is is, is the reception of that divine fire right into your body, right? Like, and if you're not ready for it, it can destroy you. Like he, he got that, but he, 
but to the point that he actually was never willing to go and receive communion. Yeah. So he gets the, you know, the imagery, he gets the, the point at, that we are actually on our own terms incapable of this. We are in those Old Testament terms, even though we don't really reflect in terms of these in our modern society, but we are unclean. We are like Isaiah, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, right? So that part, this guy gets. But what I would point out is that Jesus disagrees with him <laughs> in terms mm-hmm. of the next step, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus comes down from the Mount. The very first story in Matthew that we have is of a man with a skin disease, right? And it's interesting because he says to Jesus, um, you know, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. So it's all about clean, unclean, right? It's not make me, you know, un, no longer have this skin disease. Skin disease is what makes him unclean in terms of, of Old Testament categories and, and so forth. But he doesn't ask to be healed. He asks to be made clean. In other, other words, put me back into the community that is capable of worshiping and standing in God's presence, of offering sacrifice, of, of being part of, of God's uh, community. But notice, if you are willing, you know, I know you can do this, but do you want to do this? And Jesus says, I am willing. Be, be clean, right? I am willing. So that's Jesus's response to the one who stands there as unclean. And if we ever doubt what God's character is, you know, that, that vision of Isaiah 6, where the coal is brought to Isaiah, that's what Jesus Christ comes and makes real. For, for Isaiah, it's a dream, you know, and throughout Isaiah, you get this image that, yeah, God will ultimately share his divine love and grace and glory with the whole world over and over again through the prophecy of Isaiah. You have these beautiful images of what God will ultimately do. Well, what we see in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. So when Jesus reaches out and touches the guy who had been untouchable, who had been unclean and makes him clean. That's the image that we are to, to recall and to say, yeah, of course, we're incapable of God's life. We're incapable of, of participation in God's glory. Of course, if nothing else happens, we will, that refining fire will devour us and destroy us, just like the Israelites feared, you know, at the bottom of Mount Sinai when they dared not, you know, go forward. But nevertheless, it is God's initiative to reach out and make us clean, to put us in the place where we can share in that fire. And so it becomes this image that we find uh, in various church fathers of, you know, the blade of steel, right? Uh, Say of sword that, that goes into a fire that never stops being a sword. But when it's placed in the fire, it takes on all the properties of the fire this fiery blade. And so that's the, an image they use for theosis. And that's our understanding of what that means. It's to stand in the fiery presence of God and not be destroyed. In fact, to be truly ourselves. But it's only because God says, I am willing and reaches out and touches us. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. And I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.